I always get excited when I see like new little toys. And um, I guess I don't normally scroll uh, on the on the link of our broadcast partner, which is uh, StreamYard. And have you seen this before, Tim? No, I, I have not. And okay. So um, I remember, I think it was with Nasty Nate Scholl from Swim Nerd. Uh, he was the one who showed us the audio aspect. So like you can yeah. test your speakers and like they have like a, a nice little like intro tune or something like that. And it's really, it's kind of catchy. It's like, this is, I don't, I don't even want to sing it, but I just scrolled a little bit on StreamYard and now they have all this uh, background music that we can play. Mm. So I think we should just uh, put some dance pop on and, and see what happens. Nope, that's not going to be it for me. No. Uh, maybe rock. Let's see. We are here at the rock station here w yeah yeah I don't know. that is i mean that's the last piece uh with us we don't have any intro we don't have any uh, outro uh type stuff yet i some list of things to do to look to see uh what kind of royalty free stuff or if there's anyone that listens that wants to give us uh some cool this is into space music. and you're wearing a spacex shirt so i figured it was appropriate you're here. You're listening to yeah. the Fervent for. Yeah. All right, I'm done. So that wasn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be, and I'm I'm yeah. actually quite disappointed now. We win or we learn, right? Yeah i I, I appreciate that they have those things. Uh, I would like to have like uh, crowd applause and mm. uh, other things like that. Um, in the wrong. What's going on, man? Yeah, it's just uh, it's a busy week. It's, uh, I always look forward to Thursdays uh, when we record the show, learning about something new, learning about uh, getting to know people a little bit better uh, when we have a, a new guest on, which we uh, which we do this week. So I'm looking forward to that. What do you think about meeting new people and just the aspect of it? I mean, I, I feel like we treat this show. Sometimes we know the people. Sometimes we don't. I don't know this person at all. I've known him for 17 minutes now. Uh, so I always treat it as like the coffee shop talk, meeting the person for the first time, um, trying to learn about them. What What are your, I mean, are you the same in that kind of respect of, of trying to? Yeah, I, I like, I, I like smaller groups uh, where we can have a more uh, intimate conversation, get to know each other. I don't, I'm just not the type of person that likes to uh, fight for attention for people to listen to me. Um so when it's a smaller group like that, I feel like the conversation is a lot more natural. We can get to know each other a bit better um, as opposed to a, a big group. It's just kind of sensory overload for me. Favorite icebreaker question? Do you have one? Uh, you no, know, I don't know if I do. Um, it may be a little cliche. I know what yours is, but yeah, I mean, I just like to know a little, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, and it's not necessarily from a business standpoint. I wanted to get to know them at a, uh, in a more personal, personal level. What are you watching on Netflix now? Hey, 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 that's my question. <laughs> so we, well, Travis Young, how's it going, buddy? Pleasure to meet you now for 18 minutes. Um, my favorite What's icebreaker question is what are you watching on Netflix? And the on reason Netflix? why is there is uh, last time I actually went and found the data point, 140 million Netflix subscribers. Uh, people watch or they binge like four hours of content a day. 
and there's however many billions of people. So uh, it's likely that person is watching a lot of content. Truth be told, I don't watch a lot of Netflix anymore. Uh, it just seems like so many other platforms are uh, pumping out new content that uh, Netflix is, you know, they're probably number three or four on the list of platforms well, that I watch. What are you watching online? I'm currently watching Peacock uh, because I'm rewatching The Office. Uh, and I watched WrestleMania this past weekend. But uh, what about you, Travis? What are you watching on Netflix or online? Yeah, um, I feel like as of late, there's been a lot of like these like, tech companies and yeah like are you watching, we're watching the dropout are you watching that i have been watching the dropout you know elizabeth holmes theranos uh yeah i've also watched the documentary for that uh inventing anna on netflix has good. also been a um another one you watched that we work one no inventing i'm not anna one? no that was, that was pretty wild the we work, I think, is we crash with uh, Jared uh, Leto and um, Anne Hathaway. Yeah, on Apple TV Plus. I, that that's something I want to get to. I watched the one on Hulu uh, mm-hmm. with that one, and then uh, I'm debating if I want to watch uh, Super Pumped, the uh, the Uber story. That's on Showtime. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that one, and you know, also obsessive Ozark. So I binge watched uh, in January the first part of the last season yeah i'm excited for the second part well and uh one of the i would think supporting actresses in ozark was the main character in inventing anna very wild story uh yes kind of like a if you think about it the fake it till you make it kind of style of Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean she almost made it it was pretty close yeah (laughs) i just i just spoiled it for everyone apologies but julie garner yeah yeah, that, that was interesting. I think uh, Ozark is coming out with the final part soon. But what's interesting is when you think about the Netflix and the streaming platforms is how often and how how much they have to promote something to, to be seen, to get people to actually tune in, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we just mentioned several different titles. Uh, I I wrote down four of them. I don't, I've never even heard of them, you know, so that's got to register in my mind. Then yeah. I got to think about, okay, I'm going to actually go and watch that thing. I'm going to, you know, put time down to, to do that thing. Like there's a lot of, of effort that goes into just getting awareness out there. And I think people think that if they just push something out once, they're going to be just Granby, but really it, it takes a ton of time, a ton of attention. And, and, but what's and, it? and Apple frequency. TV plus that they, that Coda won, something at the Oscars the first time ever best picture or something like that. But uh, I want to say that it was reported it was $20 million for them to produce it. And then they had a marketing budget of $20 million. I mean, that's just Mm. insane uh, in terms of a marketing budget. Or is it? I don't know. I I, I don't know. To me, it's insane. If, well, now, so you got forty million bucks in there. I don't know if there's like a back end royalty that they're giving uh, the the actors and actresses on, on something like that. But I, I look at like your ESPNs. I'm a huge WWE fan. I look at how much they have to market stuff. And and I, when I hear a founder talk about, oh, my marketing is just I'm going to post this thing once and 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 hope that it works. It's like, well, look at what these other platforms are doing and how often, from a frequency standpoint, if you're mm-hmm. not even doing a glimmer of that, yeah. like, and these are the big boys. Right. So yeah, you really can't keep up. Anywho, uh, so you grew up on the Eastern Shore, that part of the Virginia map that a lot of people forget to include when they are doing, uh, <laughs> when they're including a map, including myself for my uh, 
back in 2015, we did this event called the State of the Startup Community Address. And I'm pretty sure that the Eastern Shore we left out of the state of Virginia, even though it's a part of the metro here in Virginia. Uh, is so that I, okay with uh, people from? Is that okay with pe from people uh, from the Eastern Shore? Are they okay with being left out? That they would prefer to be left out, or do, you, do people have a chip on their shoulder because they're left out? That's not okay. You know, I always tell <laughs> folks it's like we're the peninsula, and they're like, "Wait, what's the peninsula?" I'm like the body of water, the piece of land is surrounded by water on all sides. So. <laughs> But yes, folks uh, are tend to leave out Eastern Shore, unfortunately. But I blame know, my graphic designer at the time <laughs> for doing that. I don't think he had ever been through the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. I don't think he knew it existed. So uh, in 2016, we had made a comeback tour and uh, the Eastern Shore was included. So please uh, forgive me for my um, ridiculousness in, in that. <laughs> but, but what's it like be, being a part of like a small a small area like that because there, there's not a lot of stuff and then you you move to virginia beach when you're in 10th grade up mm -hmm. to bcu bigger city then to chicago to new york so i mean you're, you're going from small to big and then you're back here now like what, what was that process of of moving and 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 being in a small area for so long yeah i mean honestly growing up with eastern shore was probably the best ever honestly i had the experience of like having an actual childhood so I remember like having a go-kart, right? A dirt bike, biking. We used to have like water gun fights with the, you know, town kids. And so it was a lot of fun. I, you know, got really dirty, um, <laughs> had a lot of mosquito bites in the summer. And so I enjoyed it. I definitely had one of the best experiences. But I mean, I think at that time too, there was, there was a, more of a thriving community. There was a lot of folks who had kids. And so as you can imagine, and like all my cousins around the same age, everybody had kids right, right around the same time. So it was interesting that our families all knew each other and like they all had kids at the same time. And so that was kind of fun. It was like this really like large community aspect. Uh, but to your point, you know, there it is a rural community. And so there are not a lot of resources. Part of the reason why I actually ended up leaving uh, Northampton High School was to go to school in Virginia Beach because I wanted to take AP classes. And so uh, I did, went to Bayside. Shout out uh, Bayside Marlins. Uh, and yeah, I was there for two years, uh, which felt like you? a... Uh, whoa, we're going there? <laughs> we're I'm going there. So, I'm trying to put some dates on this. Yeah, 34. I'm 34. So I graduated high school in 06. So Okay, I know I'm so you and I are... I'm 38. <laughs> Tim's a little older. Okay. But I, what I was getting at is you, you, you got outside as your childhood. I don't mm -hmm. feel like that happens as much with everyone the same way. Like I would, no. after school, I'd play basketball. I play football. I, I, you know, you do something. It, it, you know, people play video games. Now they're on their cell phones the whole time. Like it, it's, it's you getting out. You were still part of that, that world, which is, is, is cool to hear. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Cause like all my like nieces and nephews do not, they're always on their phone. And so it's like, just go outside. Like there's a lot to do outside. That's you know? weird. And then we had to have an imagination, right? This is back before the internet actually really happened. We, cl we, so. we climbed trees back in the day. Climb trees. I mean, do, kids, <laughs> do kids even attempt to climb a tree anymore? Not at all. Hide and seek, you know, water gun <laughs> fights, water balloon fights. Those yeah, were the exciting. best time. Exactly. I still would love to do that as an adult. Like, honestly, let's go to Mount Trashmore and <laughs> have a drink, huge, a drink like, out of a garden hose, right, Zach? <laughs> that that is that. something I will not do again. <laughs> yeah, I can pass on that too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so like after you know high school, uh, I went to VCU Richmond. Uh, so to your point, I a larger city. That was the first time I felt like I was like, wow, I'm in a you know large city uh, comparatively so right. 
and VCU was like amazing. I was that was the first time I actually got to meet a lot of other different folks from different backgrounds, and so VCU has a extremely like diverse community of of students, and so met people from all types of walks of life. Um, and yeah, majored in economics and finance. At the time, I really wanted to be a banker. <laughs> Uh, and did actually worked at the Fed, interned there, and then uh, ended up getting a job at J.P. Morgan Chase in Chicago. And you know, Chicago has its own set of uh, rules and standards, and so it was interesting trying to get uh, acclimated to the weather uh, mm. for one. Uh, and yeah, that was it was a good time. Great food scene. What was your favorite Chicago food? Chicago food. Oh wow. Um, you know, Chicago has, you know, there's this whole debate about the pizza, right? You know, the lasagna versus, you know, you used to call it lasagna. It is basically a pie for sure. Uh, and it is a piece of pie. But, you know, my favorites was like, you know, Skip Uno's. It was Luminati's or Giordano's were like my two favorite. I think Luminati's probably would beat it. Um, Portillo's, you know, they do like the hot dog. But I'm not really a big fan of hot dogs ever since, you know, being a kid. Never really liked or enjoyed hot dogs. I always skip those. But um, there's this one place called Big Star. It was uh, Northwest Chicago. I think the neighborhood was Wicker Park. Um, and used to do like this really amazing like fish taco. Um, awesome. Best taco that I've actually ever had. I'll say that. Yeah. Best taco ever. Um, and then Shout on out Tuesdays, to Big Star. <laughs> and then on Tuesdays, they also used to do like $3 whiskey shots. So we used to go on a Tuesday and get really wasted and, you know, drink, uh, drink all the whiskey and eat tacos. So... <laughs> <laughs> We haven't asked this question in a while, but uh, it seems fitting right now. Mm -hmm. What would you say this area, from a food or drink standpoint, is is really known for? Uh, I mean, Chicago. So many other places have their thing. It's you know, staple. what is our staple? Um, I would say seafood. I mean, we're surrounded by water, and so like you know, growing up on the Eastern Shore, you know, I used to go shucking oysters with my my dad, and like you know, planting them back in the in the bay, and so. At the time, I did not eat oysters at all. I hated seafood, honestly. But, you know, as I grew up, you know, and had more of an adult palate, I was like, you know what? It's actually not that bad. But hmm. seafood, there's also this drink called the Crush. I guess it might yeah, be a Virginia Beach standard with the Crush Ice. Okay. So that's the, the uh, I feel like the that's the standard crush here. From Waterman's. Maybe, maybe yes. that is, maybe that is like the staple of the area, the Orange Crush. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I mean, Wow, after all this time, we finally figured it out. <laughs> I know, and it wasn't until just now asking Travis a question. I'm like, man, maybe the Orange Crush you know, has some some legs. Uh, because we have some, it's spring break right now. And uh, mm. so there's a lot of people that we know that are in Virginia Beach from either the New York area or from the Michigan area. And people, mm -hmm. so like they'll push on Facebook or whatever, hey, what should we do? And and like you gotta hit Waterman's and, and get a crush at least once yes. before you leave. The problem with an orange crush there has nothing no to do with the taste. No, there's nothing the matter. Okay, you're right. I just need to say <laughs> they are so lethal that you can drink yes. so many of them and have no clue. Number one, how many you've had or what it's doing to you, because it's just like you you don't taste the alcohol. It is yeah. I remember I've only been to that place, uh, Waterman's once and had those drinks and it was at a um a reception for a wedding oh so maybe that's it the orange crush uh because some people say the white sauce at mexican because mm. that's really only a thing here which is weird because i would have thought it was in northern virginia but it's not mm -hmm. um 
And seafood comes up, but I think seafood's too broad, maybe. But so you said oysters. Um, uh, what about the like fried soft shell crabs? I like talked to a lot of friends when I used to live in New York, and they were like, "What's that?" I was like, "You never had like a, a fried soft shell crab?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> I think that might be. A really I have a seafood thing allergy, too. so I I can't eat seafood. Oh, um, it's unfortunate. But I'm going to take your word for it and say, yeah. you know, I just you know, and the reason we I that I'm interested is I one. I like uh, another another opinion, but yeah. two, it's just like how can we put something on the map to really market this area? To because uh, I'm just curious everyone's uh, everyone's input, what their opinion is. Well, like the Bahamas has like that dark and stormy, or maybe it's Bermuda. You got mm-hmm. New Orleans. There's a special drink there, so maybe the, there is the something. hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe there maybe there is something like that. I don't know if the Manhattan actually originated in Manhattan, but you know, there's that. That is interesting. I've never had a Manhattan, but it's like been on my list of things to do. But every time I go to a restaurant, I'm like, this place isn't bougie enough for me to like try one of these. Like I, I need it to be at a place that's going to make this like decent. Um, but soon I will. I'm going to because I want to I want to get into whiskey. I feel like it feels like a thing mm-hmm. that would be um, fun to do. Tim, do you hate yeah. whiskey? Um, I d- I don't know enough about it. So I would feel really, really bad. I mean, I, people invite me to go to different things and I'm like, I'm just going to waste your money. I'm going to waste your whiskey because I don't really know what I'm doing. So yeah, I don't have a palate that is designed for that. I need like a, a whiskey 101, a bourbon 101 mm. and, and just really start from, from the, from the bottom and work my way up. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been, so you've been to some really cool places. What brought you back to the 757? Yeah, so um, I was living in New York. So after I left Chicago, I moved to New York City. Um, I was working, uh, I guess, throughout the education sector at first at this ed tech startup in Newark, um, and then at the New York City Department of Education. Uh, but re- really brought me home was the pandemic. So we were, well, I was there March 2020. So we got the first wave of everything and then ended up contracting coronavirus. Uh, lost my sense of taste and smell, which to this day, I don't know if it's long COVID or not, I still can't smell or taste at the level wow. that so used to early be. on you got it. Yeah, like or like I think it was like maybe end of March, early April. Oh wow. oh wow. Oh wow. So that was that was a dark time. <laughs> Cause we were like all like, what does this mean? Am I gonna die? Uh yeah. which was like jokingly it was like kind of a thing because we didn't know at the time that that was actually with a symptom. And so it was, it was, it was, it was different for sure. Um, and so then New York became like, you know, like most of the world and uh, like a desert island almost. It was just like nothing was happening. And then, you know, I had a lot of friends who like were moving and going back home. And, you know, for me, I had forgot that actually home was an option. And so I spoke to my mom. She's like, you know, you can always move back home. And I'm like, you know what? I can't always move back home. And so October, I was like, I'm going to move home. And I did. And the goal was to, uh, to stay uh, for three months and I was going to like get my own apartment back in Brooklyn uh, in January. And then at the time, our work uh, remote policy was extended to June and I stayed to June. And then at that time, it didn't make sense to like leave. So I kind of grown accustomed to being back home. So is home the Eastern Shore at that point or is it somewhere else? Uh, so home home is Eastern Shore, but like my parents live in Chesapeake, but I have a ton of family that's still on Eastern Shore. Got it. So that time with the uh, the EdTech startup, is that what uh, where you first got your taste of, uh, of, of startup land and, and what drew you to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. So we, I was working at this organization called Brick Academy in Newark. And so they were a school management organization. So they essentially managed two public schools. Um, and my role was the director of instructional strategy. And I was really tasked with uh, leading a lot of the kind of online learning um, platforms. And so we were working with like a lot of ed tech companies to do some of that kind of initial analysis. And so we implemented a, a few different systems. And so I was helping teachers to like really utilize the platform uh, while also kind of building out dashboards to like make data more actionable for them. So that was definitely my first taste of startup life. Um, and it was it was interesting to say the least. It's not for everyone. I will I will say that. But it what was interesting requires, about it? Um, just you know, for me coming from corporate America, right, mm -hmm. where there you know J P Morgan, where there's all the departments, all the folks who work on different things, right, and then being maybe a team of five when it's just like you know everyone has to wear many different hats. And so it was interesting in the sense that like I was hired to do one job, but then you know I was then pulled to do. A, many other things uh, that was not in my JD, but it was part of like the culture, right? To be super collaborative and to like, you know, really pull your sleeves up and just, you know, get, go all hands in. So how do you, how do you learn that skill of, I don't even know if it's a skill, but like, it, I, I think we're taught and maybe it's changed, but we're, we're taught, this is the process, go, go work this thing. And then you're going to work at this company. It's going to look like this. And your role mm -hmm. is this. But now there's this other aspect, not that startups haven't been around forever, but now, now it's, it's, um, you know, it's cool to work at a startup where you don't necessarily know your duty or, or your mm -hmm. role at the company or something like that. Like, is that, is that just something that you just have to roll with the punches? Like, cause I can, I, I can just think of like, probably even myself saying this way back when, like, that's not my job. I'm not going to mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. You know, when I worked in, you know, a, a corporate job, I, why would I do that? You know, I, that, that's not, I'm not, I'm not doing that, but now we're in this other business world where it's like, no, that's absolutely what you do. You don't really know your roles. Is, mm -hmm. is that something that you learn? How do you, how does it, how do, how do you process that? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was definitely a struggle initially, but um, I think for the most part, you have to be really buy into the company's mission. So if you're buying into the company's mission, then of course you want to help out and see the, uh, see the company succeed and grow. And so for me, we were really trying to, you know, ensure that all students had a shot at a fair education. So it resonated with me in that aspect that I wanted to do a good job and like where I could actually, you know, lend my talents, I could, hmm. you know, be, be helpful. So I did that. So you didn't care that much about the banking industry, but the other aspect, so, so it matters kind of what the business is. Yeah. Banking felt, you know, particularly at JP Morgan, like we we're just helping rich people get richer. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I can really take my talents elsewhere and like help, you know, do some more social good. Right. And feel like I'm actually, you know, leaving the world better than 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 I left it. And so that was my whole mission of like making the pivot into education was like I wanted to do some social good. Um, yeah. And, and with regards to that, I, I, where or when or was there a specific thing that happened within your life that that moved you towards the the DE and I space that you're like, you know, I this is something I need to get involved in. This is a calling. What what drew you to that area specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, there wasn't like a particular experience or like singular like event that happened. I think, you know, for me, I'm a product of public education. Um, at the time, Kip the Peak School Elementary, shout out to Kip the Peak, was a Blue Ribbon School of Excellence. Uh, and so I was able to like take part in all the different like activities and programs I had at the school um, and also had teachers that actually cared about doing their job. And so, you know, for me, I think I was like, living in Chicago at the time or maybe New York 
I have read a report about the school and how it actually became one of the lowest performing schools in the in the state of Virginia. And so that for me was like, well, how can I actually ensure um, that, you know, folks who look like me have a shot at a decent education? And so that was kind of what made what made me realize to make the pivot into education um, is because I was, you know, considered to be one of the lucky ones. Right. I made it out, quote unquote, or like of, of the country. Right. Um, but. But what made me so different, right? How come or how can everyone actually have this opportunity? And so that was really the catalyst that, you know, had me make the switch to education. Do you notice that while it's happening, like growing up, did you notice that or did it take the report to actually see that? Because I'm always interested, like, obviously, it's it's on the front page of everything now where it's very mm-hmm. like it, it's it's in it's in a very um, good spot from a, a, from a branding perspective, like, Hey, this is a thing, but like when growing up or going through that, it, it, did you realize it or did, did you have to have someone explain it to you? Like how, how does, how does that happen? Yeah. I mean, I think growing up, we're all naive, right? We're all young. And so like, I feel like, you know, these shows like diverse in the sense of like it being like the population that it reflects. Um, Whereas when I went to Chicago, New York City, there were students who only went to school with their own race, right? So I had white friends that were like, oh, I only went to school with white people or like black friends, like, yeah, I've never actually interacted with like people who are not black until I got to college. And I was just like, really? Like, is that a thing? And I'm thinking like, this is Chicago and New York City, but like, how can folks, you know, these are the progressive beacons of the world, right? Not be able to interact with people outside of their race until they get to college. And so that was kind of like the aha moment. It's like, oh, so everyone did not have the same experience as I did. And so for me, it was kind of that moment where I liked, looked at my life like, well, I'm actually pretty lucky to have a different experience and have somewhat of a diverse kind of eclectic group of friends that I've actually kind of, you know, I still keep in touch with. So intentionally siloed in those cases, I guess is what you're saying, that that groups of, 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 of students were one race to another and, and that was the norm until they got to yeah and i wouldn't say it was intentionally silo uh from their perspective it was more so like you know because of segregation and right and the way that like Mm. school systems are set up right particularly new york city is one of the most segregated school systems in the country and you would think a city like new york city would have a better grapple of like how they would be able to do that but not so much right so if you live in a certain uh neighborhood zip code you know everyone that looks like kind of stays within their own groups and so they tend to then go to schools with folks who look like them. And so um, there was a big push when I joined the DOE to like think through how do we actually think about desegregating schools in the 21st century, right? Um, and, you know, there's been a shit ton of articles uh, of folks who are, you know, for it and against it. Um, and this new buzzy buzzword kind of way. But, you know, equity, right? When you think about it, it's like how do we then take our resources that are like, you know, limited, right? There's this zero sum game when it comes to education, but how are we like divvying that up to folks who might be more deserving or need a a little extra effort to ensure that they're kind of meeting the mark. Um, But I digress from that point. (laughs) Well, no, it's, it's, it's really fascinating to me because one of the, it seems like every show we get off into running or some kind, but yeah, but one of the, the things about the New York city marathon that is really unique is that you go through all the different neighborhoods the the different ethnic neighborhoods as you're traveling through New York City and I never really thought about it until you just mentioned it now that uh, that probably each of you little Italy and Chinatown and all of that uh, they probably have their own schools that for that particular neighborhood so I've Mm -hmm. never really thought about it from that standpoint that's that's it's fascinating 
And New York City's school system is like probably the most complicated in the nation, right? Because they have 1.1 million students that are like actually from K to 12. Mostly K to K to five or primary education is kind of regulated to like neighborhoods. Um, whereas middle schools, you can attend middle school in your borough, likely. And then for high school, it's open enrollment. So if you live in the Bronx, you know, you want to attend, attend a school in the Queens, you can, but you have to go through this application process, which I was like completely floored. I was like, so you mean to tell me I'm an eighth grader, I'm applying to up to 12 high schools and I have to like be selected based off of like, you know, location and geography. So it's a complete burden for parents and families to figure out how to navigate that. And so part of my role at the DOE um, in the Office of Student Enrollment was to kind of think through like, how do we make the enrollment process easier for families to like navigate you know, they used to call the high school directory the Bible <laughs> or the phone book, right? Because it literally was the size of a phone book of like over 680 schools that you can apply to in, in high school, right? And so if I'm a family with limited resources or I'm a, a working mom who is single and like, how am I able to navigate that on my own? Whereas, you know, there's another family who may be more fluent, who come from a two-parent household, may have other help that can actually take the time out to help them navigate the system. And so, we did a few different things to kind of combat that. But overall, I think that, you know, New York City still offers some of the top schools uh, in the country. And so my role was kind of think through, like, how do we ensure that, like, everyone, you know, regardless of race, background, income, socioeconomic status, has a chance to, to be able to attend those schools. Interesting. What with that lens and then then you return back to Virginia what what was your initial thought? I mean, so you 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 moved into the role that you're in now. Are you like, oh, easy day, or is this? Did you view this as, wow, we've got a lot of work to do? Yeah. So I think you know, for me, my and so I guess to 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 take a step back, uh, I was also kind of like doing a lot of consulting at the same time, and so the pandemic kind of you know it, it lighted a fire underneath me to kind of do more. I felt like you know, working throughout the system, it felt highly bureaucratic. You know, there wasn't much that was happening at a, a large scale, right? You know, change in, inside the system is marginal at best. And so some friends and I got together, we created this group called The Nationhood. Um, it was more of a passion project. This is kind of post-George Floyd, uh, post-George Floyd's murdering. And so we got together, uh, wanted to create a something to do, right? Because at the time we are like, oh, well, there's still the pandemic. We all felt like we were a little bit aged out to do protesting because we were like, okay, like, how do we fit into this? And so we created this uh, civic engagement guide called uh, Liberation Toolkit. And it basically like walked folks through like how to really leverage um, their local elected officials to rally around uh, change through policymaking. And so that got a lot of views and it ended up actually us working with this uh, one uh, agency called Maestra and they're a social impact agency and they do a lot of social impact campaigns that are geared towards uh, like a holistic approach to like uh, DEI, right? So I think the buzzword now has been DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, but then we talk about social impact. So if you create a program, like what are the ways in which we're actually um, creating more of a holistic approach to like uh, programming? And so one of the things we had the chance to do was work through a bunch of different filmmakers. So one of the films was uh, called Time. This is through Amazon Studios. And so the film itself was about mass incarceration in this family. It documented them and their struggle with uh, being incarcerated in Louisiana, um, which has the highest po prison population in the world. Um, and so we wanted to really provide more of a roadmap 
laying the foundation of mass incarceration. So we developed this campaign that included like this education toolkit, also like this like site that kind of like captured folks's uh, kind of time loss. And so the film was kind of launched in, I guess, in addition to the film. And so we were doing a lot of that work, which is kind of similar to DEI. Uh, but to get back to your question, as far as like, what does it look like when I came back? It was like, how do I take that experience, right? Where we're building out these campaigns and these different type of initiatives, programs, um, and apply it here um, in a real way. I mean, it seems like there are a ton of initiatives out there to try to combat this, to, to, to improve it. Uh, as you were talking about this, I thought about something over the last few months, which is um, the Rooney Rule from the NFL, which is trying to uh, hire more black head coaches. Uh, they just done a terrible job of that overall. And I think everyone would, would admit that. Uh, Pete Carroll came out last week, I guess, uh, and he's a, um, uh, a head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. I think he still is there. And he was like, this is never going to change until basically the old the old white guys figure this out and, and, and start hiring people that don't look like themselves. Like, there's things in place that are, with, with knowing what, with what I just said, and, and, and there's tons of other programs and initiatives out there, with stuff in place to, to try to combat uh, DEI and to improve it. How, it doesn't, it just doesn't seem like the, the needle is moving in a lot of these things, even though things are in place to do it. Like w in your opinion, what is it going to take to actually start to see improvement on some of this stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think the way that's been kind of framed, right. It's super polarizing, right. We have the left and the right. Um, and so part of my work has been through this idea of like narrative change. Like how do we use language that is, doesn't seem divisive, but then brings people together, right? Because, you know, we're better together than we are apart. And so the way that like both sides have kind of framed the debate around DEI and, you know, most recently too here, critical race theory, right? It's about how do we tell our history in a real way that folks can understand that people of color who have been marginalized through systemic oppression, racism in this country, have been left behind, right? That's a that's a fact. But at the same time, us getting resources and thinking about how we can have initiatives and programs that are geared towards ensuring that we have a diverse representation of what this country is made of doesn't seem from a white person's perspective that they're losing anything, right? This is a societal gain, right? And I think the way that it's currently been framed, it's particularly for white men, right? They're always feeling like they're the target is that they're losing something, right? And so if we could frame it in a way of, you know, this is actually the benefit for society as humans, right? Then I think that could actually get some more, some more legs to stand on potentially. But I also think that like, it actually just requires people to have conversations, right? And so like, if you're talking to people who don't look like you, then you realize actually we have a lot more in common than we do different, right? And so how are we bridging difference along dialogue, right? Um, and being in conversation, right? Creating, you know, spaces where people can ask questions and, you know, you know, deliberately, right? And they may not know, may not, they may not have the right framing or the right phrasing or the right language to use, but they're actually willing to learn and they're like able to kind of be in conversation to kind of figure out how they could, you know, view the world and through the through your lens. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, especially when I think about Hampton Roads as its own MSA. And I, I tell everyone, first question everyone always asks is where is Hampton Roads? What is Hampton Roads? But once we get past that, I, you know, the way that I describe it is I'm like, it is the, it's the largest small town that I, that I mm. know about. I mean, a population of 1.7 million people, but yet it's still such a small, small town. 
yeah. in the sense of uh, you know one uh, the the group of people that are decision makers, so to speak, is a very very small circle, and I think that there's a lot of people that are in these circles and decision makers that really don't want to see things change. And, um, you know, and, and that could be based on a broad scope of things, whether it's, we don't want to bring big tech companies in here because we want to keep population small. We want to keep classrooms small, whatever the case is. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting in the sense of uh, how small town Hampton roads continues to be. Um, yeah. And even those two, the Eastern Shore, too, I was talking to one of my cousins and like, you know, there was this whole redevelopment project they were thinking about building there. But like the town council voted against it because they want to keep it a very small town. They don't want a bunch of outsiders coming in. It's a very I mean, if you all haven't been, we should go. I'll take you to all the best spots. Uh, but there's there's this uh, sereneness to it that actually is really nice to be in a place where it just feels like, you know, life is easy. It's not the hustle and bustle and like. Folks over there like that. I mean, I like it too, but I think there's a there's a balance in which we can kind of like provide additional resources for folks who live there, job opportunities um, that may not exist, but at the same time still keep it so that folks aren't getting the space. Because I feel like that's where the 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 anxiety comes from is this idea of dis displacement. Well, and this is a broad statement, but I mean, people complaining about things that they're really just headlining. Like they're just reading a headline. They're not doing any research on, they're not, they're not seeing anything. And I remember the old city manager um, of Norfolk, Marcus Jones told me a story once about how um, they saw a problem with Hampton Boulevard and too many um, tractor trailers, the 18 wheelers on it. And, uh, and because they had blocked it at, in a certain amount of time, let's say from like uh, 9 AM to 3 PM, that was forcing everyone to be on those roads at a very specific amount of time. Mm -hmm. So their solution through a ton of research and, and, and seeing this problem in other cities and how they fix it was to actually open up that time frame. So to not to instead of having it being six hours to have it be, let's say, nine or 12 hours. And he said that so many people pushed back or, or only a few people pushed back. But because they were the only ones that pushed back and there wasn't the opposite side. As a, as a council, I guess they had to, to make a vote around something like that. But oftentimes people aren't even researching. They're just, you know, mm -hmm. they're reading 10 words. They're hearing one quote and they're saying, oh, that, I feel this way because of this. And it's like, hold on, like, this is actually going to fix your problem, uh, you know, allegedly. And, you know, people don't even want to put in the research to, to do it. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of headline, um, headline mm -hmm. and clickbait type of things because I, I think it does... Uh, again, to the divisiveness of of all of this stuff when it's like, hold on, like, let's actually read the damn article to figure out like what this thing is about. I was actually talking about that today um, uh, online a little bit. Just the Great Recession. Is that what it's called? The Great, the great Resignation. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting to me is like, I feel like that's a clickbaity type of uh, it thing is. because because it's like, OK, so I'm sitting there thinking the Great Resignation. So everyone's quitting. Where, where, where are they working now? And all mm -hmm. it is, is they're just going to another job. Well, you've done different jobs. You've told us that today. Like, yes, you moved it around a different career, but like, is it really that different until you do some research into it and mm -hmm. learn that actually what it sounds like is, yes, there are other people who are just banking on Bitcoin and, 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 and making it be great. <laughs> and that was a joke. I, I, yeah. that's, what, that's what Tim's response was, right? <laughs> but, 
I look at that and I go, okay, like I'm questioning this. I want to know about it. Please tell me your thoughts. And some people were like, yo, I moved careers. Okay. So really mm-hmm. it's about, I, I had this career forever. I, you know, I, I mean, I used to be a nurse and now I'm uh, in it, you know, like, let's, let's just research a little bit more and stop trying to like headline stuff and click yeah. stuff so that we, I mean, it's really right. more of a reset than it is. Uh, yeah. Which the is resignation. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to be in that job anymore. I want to, I want to do something different. There's nothing the matter with that. Is it really that like alarming? But mm-hmm. you read these articles and you see these headlines and you're like, wow, this is a big deal. Yeah. People are still working. It's not like they're quitting their jobs, you know, and never doing anything. Right. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. I mean, so with that, you've been in your position now for what, three, four months. Uh, and I think about my 90 days. Okay. So uh, almost three months. Uh, yeah, you've had a chance to kind of look at the landscape, see what's what. Uh, you know, so what, what have you noticed? Yeah. In terms of, you know, what, what types of things do you have ahead of you that uh, to, to start making your mark in the, the startup entrepreneurial space? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, it's been nice actually chatting with everybody. Like I've chatted with, I think at this point, over 70 ecosystem partners. So a bunch of different founders who've, you know, come through our various programs at Startup Studios, 757 Accelerate and 757 Angels. Um, I've chatted with a lot of other organizations who are doing uh, work within the community. I've chatted with some council members, um, both at the, you know, across the cities, right? And so it's been interesting because I think everyone is really excited about the opportunity that exists here. Um, But we are a small market, right? We are really, you know, we're not uh, the Austin, Texas of the world. We're not, um, you know, SF or like New York, any of these like larger markets when it comes to like, um, just like the volume of folks who actually have a startup idea, right? And I think when you think about the larger scale of like, okay, we have this startup community, right? How do we then provide, you know, more pathways for folks to get access to funding or, or get the support they need? And so the biggest thing that I've actually been hearing is that, you know, where are the founders, right? Black or white. Um, and for me, it really has been kind of like, again, going back to education, like what's our pipeline strategy, Right. Because if we're not really setting kids up for success through K to 12, then how are we going to be able to kind of prepare them for college, right? To get into, you know, careers or like majors rather that they can actually then have the skill set that's going to prepare them to then go off and to join a startup. Because to your point, Zach, right? How do you build a skill to be collaborative or a jack of all trade, right? You do sometimes have to specialize in something and then kind of move on, right? So they can kind of start to build up your toolkit of like, here are the resources and tools that I actually have in my arsenal that I can use. I mean, I know the, how to solve this exact problem, but I've so- solved the problem similar to this. I can kind of take what I you know learned from this, this problem and then apply it to this one, right? And so for me, it has always been and always will be, you know, education, right? And I think for us starting at, you know, where we sit, right? We're sitting at the, the startup level. So like, how are we working with universities to really start to ensure that like, you know, professors have, you know, entrepreneurial training, right? And that they're working in collaboration with us to ensure that like the folks, students that are actually at their universities have what they need to actually start to build out their prototype, right? Start to kind of think through like what product or service they actually want to, to kind of focus on, what problem it is they were trying to solve, right? And then how do we then create a plan, 
exists around that, right? So that then they can start to move to potentially joining 757 Accelerate where they have an MVP, right? And so starting to continue in that way. And so that's some of the work that I've been kind of looking at and thinking through like how we can support to do that. Um, but it also requires everyone, right? And so then you think about what does that look like at a, a high school level, right? What are the programs we're doing to ensure that students have access and opportunity to participate in like hackathons or like working on a particular like program initiative that they actually can solve a problem. Um, and then even going further down like to middle school and then K to 12, like what are the skills that students need to know, obviously other than critical thinking, right? And being able to like have the math, the math background too, right? That's gonna allow them to, you know, be successful once they kind of move throughout their education career. It's interesting that you said, where are the founders? Right. I'm 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 interested in a little bit more context on that. Who is saying that? Is it founders saying where are the other founders, or is it the others asking where the founders are? I think it's just a general question of like how we can do more like when it comes to high tech uh, scalable growth companies, like mm -hmm. where are those founders, right? I think there's a lot of folks who are creating companies um, that might not have or be tech enabled, but you know. They think, still could actually... I mean, to, to me, I feel like that's environment to, to some extent. It's it's people willing to take a risk. It's 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 people that are interested in that. Yeah. And I, so I don't know. I like I feel like that. Like, I don't know that that can be changed in that kind of way uh, immediately because it is something that there is so many years of, of, of you taught. This is what's going to happen this mm -hmm. year. You, you know, uh, you you're in high school. You're going to go to college. You're going to go work for the man. And now we're sprinkling in this other stuff. I think that's a hard task to do when you haven't seen that company that people are probably looking for in this area to look at and say, oh, I want to be that. Or mm -hmm. even, even if that is happening, we're not showcasing that company the way that other areas are. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm 38 years old now. So that means I got on Facebook at what? Oh, four mm -hmm. in, in Oh four. And that company got a ton of hype around stuff. If we had a company like that, that's now 18 years old. Is that math? Right? Like, is there a company that we're going to see being that in, at eight, you know, 18 years from now, are we even sprinkling a little bit of love towards that? So people can start to say, Hey, like I want to, I want to do that thing. I personally believe that this area's worst uh, amenity, worst asset is their lack of championing businesses, whether that be the smallest business or the biggest business, right? So you got companies that uh, over the last few years, over the last decade have been sold for uh, close to a billion dollars or over a billion dollars. And there's very, very little information about that. Not like, oh, what was the actual deal? Just like mm -hmm. people saying like, that's a big positive thing. And if we can't even get behind the companies that have done that, what makes us think that these little companies that are nowhere near that but could get to that, um, that we're gonna we're gonna see that kind of that kind of love? Uh, Pharrell in his uh, the elephant in the room um, mm -hmm. um, performance speech, whatever you call that. I think it was Pusher T. Is that is that who was on stage with him? Yeah, put, put Pusher T. Mm -hmm. He said mm -hmm. when we from a music industry standpoint. He said, we can't even release music here. We have to release in other places because we don't get the same kind of love in our own community. And so it was interesting to hear that from a from a music perspective, that we also kind of see that in the business uh, side of stuff, too. 
And so I, I don't know if that's something that just has to continue to be pushed down people's throat in a positive way. That's like, hey, like this is what we need. But it was interesting that some of the biggest musicians in, in the world couldn't even release music in their backyard, kind of like some of the biggest businesses uh, in, in the world here aren't getting the love that you would you would expect them to. Yeah, um, agreed. I think there is a, I mean, that's part of the reason why I left too, right? I left, you know, Virginia at the college. It was like, well, I'm out, bye. <laughs> like, I don't want to like go elsewhere, right? The brain drain. We talked a little bit about that at the Elephant in the Room sure. event, which is a, a thing, right? You know, because it's not like there aren't smart people here. I don't think anyone ever questions that, right? Right. Yeah. I think that because, I mean, it's twofold, right? It's like, how do we create the environment, mm -hmm. the infrastructure, and the systems to get people to stay? But then, like, also, where is the culture that happens that keep people here, right? You know, I think there's a lot of, you know, things that are happening, you know. <laughs> or that could happen, like obviously something in the water, right? There's a lot of old guard leadership and like people, to your point, uh, uh, Tim, around like just wanting to keep it more of a small town. And so how do we, one, elect younger leadership that kind of buys into the ethos that like we can still be a small town, but all at the same time, we can provide additional resources and things for people to do, right? So it starts there too. But all at the same time, to your point too, Zach, it's like how do we also champion the folks who are actually doing the work here? Uh, and that's a concerted effort across multiple different industries and mediums to like, hey, this is what uh, we want to represent as the Hampton Roads region. But you can't get and behind share. You can't get behind the Shamrock Marathon if you can't get behind the Something in the Water concert. They're the exact same thing. There's nothing yep. different. So like, you can't say small town in Shamrock's okay when that's a weekend long event with a ton of people coming in, and then Something in the Water, which is a, a weekend long event with tens of thousands of people coming in, they're the exact same thing on the surface. Yeah. So like that to me, like I would call BS on something like that and be like, yo, you have these things like. I, I mean, yeah. culturally, right? Like how do we then start to change mindsets and shift mindsets? And I think again, it, it, it exists across a, a conversation across difference, right? We're bringing people together right now. Not everyone, you know, that you're going to bring to the table is going to be bought into the idea, right? There's some people that, like, you just kind of have to leave by the wayside. But, like, for the folks that do, right, how can we create this coalition of folks who want to move the needle and kind of move us towards progress and towards future and innovation? Because there's a lot of folks, obviously, us on this call, you know, us at 757 Collab you know, and throughout the community that want to see this area thrive and be the beacon of light that we know it can be, right? But like, we need to ensure that the conditions are set up so that way, you know, there can be success, right? If yeah, with that, the, the other part of your position is strategic partnerships. So like, have you started to formulate some of those, some of that strategy in terms of what partnerships that you would like created I would I would I would venture to say, no pun intended, that the entrepreneurs and the startups and founders, they're probably more than willing to do. Hey, I just want to succeed. This, what do we need to do? Mm -hmm. um, and then it's a matter of reaching out to uh, to other folks. I mean, would, have you thought about your strategy moving forward to create the strategic, uh, those strategic partnerships? Yeah, I mean, we have some. Uh, I've had a chance to really think through some of that. I think again. For us, uh, it's really about building trust, right? And having these conversations to like start to like 
build authentic, real relationships, right? And that doesn't happen overnight, but it definitely like requires consistent effort towards a common goal. Um, And so mostly has been just mostly like kind of initial conversation kind of thinking through like, hey, you know, just want to know what people are up to, what they're doing and kind of thinking the ways in which we can kind of continue the conversation. Um, And so I'm hoping uh, that there's going to be something really big in the fall. I don't want to give too much information away, but I really want to kind of think through that more more so so that we can kind of like really ensure that we have the folks that need to be at the table are at the table, right? We're not, you know, selectively leaving out people that are required, that are still doing the work, right? Because um, to your point, Tim, earlier around like, you know, there's a group of folks who are kind of the movers and shakers that are like really moving things along, right? How do we bring more people to that table to ensure that like, you know, there's representation one, but also that like there's a collective agenda that everyone can kind of buy into that's going to like lift the region as a whole, right? Not just like Chesapeake or like Norfolk or Virginia Beach, but like Hampton Roads, which seems to be, you know, I inherited that problem, right? A little bit. There's always this like kind of problem in the barrel mentality a little bit around cities and rightly so, right? I feel like cities have been kind of positioned in this area to feel like they need to compete with another city to get resources. But like, I think the shift in mindset needs to come from around thinking about how we look at this region as a, it's a scapegoat. It's you a know, scapegoat. It's a, it is a scapegoat. Goat. But I think like, how do we look at this as a Hampton Roads region, not just like, oh, Virginia right. Beach is doing this, Norfolk is doing this, but like, what city in the world doesn't is. have that with their 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 city next to it? I mean, it's it to me like we waste so much time on that conversation. It's such a waste that cities are like, oh, I'm gonna compete against. I'm just like, you're wasting time. Like yeah. scapegoat. Like get over it. Like who cares? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, mean, it's a, it, yeah. Go ahead, Travis. I was gonna say, what could it look like? I mean, I don't know what the the legality of this is, but what if we turned the seven cities into the Hampton Roads and that be one major city, right? And then like each, but to the outside know. world, that's how it is, right? It is, it's, right. you know, if it's done as a Metro, it doesn't look at the little cities. It doesn't care. Right. If you look at it, I don't know the exact numbers, but look at the DC Metro, right? I'm sure DC proper is less than a million people. Mm-hmm. Yet the entire Metro is 7 million people or so. Right. You don't look at that. And they all work together. Most of them want to work in the suburbs at this point uh, because they don't want to drive into DC uh, from that perspective. It works like yeah. it's ridiculous when, when you see uh, these people who are at the table, uh, but the bit, you know, founders is something that you want to escalate and champion more and, 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 and to push, but you don't see a lot of founders uh, at that table, but yet founders and businesses from that perspective is what a lot of the initiatives of the people at the table are looking to push. H- how do you combat that? How do you fix that? Um by just ensuring that we have representation, right? I think, you know, founders themselves too are like working on a specific problem, right? Especially our founders, they're early stage founders. And so they're also busy, right? Um, doing, they're trying to launch their product and service, right? Into the marketplace. And so like, for us, it's like, well, who are the founders that actually are now at a later stage that can actually devote their time and resources, energy towards ensuring that they're, have, they have a seat at the table to be a representative of other founders, right? And I think for us, we have uh, some of those folks who we always call on to, but it's, it's also looking at founders that may not live in the Hampton Roads area, but are from here, right? There's a lot of folks that we just talked about who are from this area, who've done amazing things, who live elsewhere, right? What is the kind of return to home theme that we've been calling it uh, that 
we can kind of start to leverage and bring people back here as a way to kind of like give back and like, you know, push forward and like really reach back and, you know, push other folks forward. So um, that's kind of been my thing too, kind of thinking through like how we can like start to really create alumni base of folks, you know, who may not necessarily be associated with 757 collab, but like have at some point, you know, grew up here, you know, have ties here, have family here, but like, you know, want to get back. And the folks that I've chatted with, right, they want to like, well, how can I push in? Like, what can I do to get more involved? And so we just need to create a funnel for them to do that. Real, real quick. I, um, when uh, I did start Norfolk, Tim, I think mm-hmm. it was start Norfolk three, you might've been associated mm-hmm. uh, in some of these like preliminary meetings, but it was like the coming home edition is how I wanted to brand it. We didn't ultimately mm-hmm. do this, but it sounds like what you're talking about, Travis. And mm-hmm. it was like, okay, who are all the famous people, business or not associated with the 757 and how can we bring them here? So obviously Mike Vick was on there. Uh, the guy who created Skillshare, uh, Michael Carjack in the porn. I cannot mm-hmm. believe I just pronounced his last name correctly. Uh, I was just practicing it for 17 seconds. Uh, and there was a plethora of other people as well. Um, you know, obviously you got the, the Missy's, the Pharrell's and people like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I like the the idea of that of, of of getting those people at least to do something back here. Uh, we didn't end up doing it, so hopefully you guys can. But there, there's a ton of people. Like I'm sure mm-hmm. if you just went to Wikipedia and typed in Hampton Roads, you know, famous people. Oh, there's oh you know, Bob Sackett lived here for a little while. He's not from here, but obviously he passed. Oh, away. I didn't even but know like, that actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. he. I just read one of his books, and he's talking about how he was at Ocean View Elementary. You so know, I mean, it, it's cool to hear. Mike stories Tomlin has a house on Eastern Shore, actually. You know, oh he does. Oh, well, he went to William and Mary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Isn't that where he, he has a house on Eastern Shore. Uh, Michael Jackson, before he passed away, was thinking about buying a house here on the Eastern Shore at one point in time too. Um, there's so many Never of us, right? You know, <laughs> Neverland <laughs> too. You know, even the younger folks coming up. Masego, he went to Princess Anne. He's from here. Amazing artist, saxophonist. Uh, there are, you know. I guess Drom now. I forgot what he's saying. Chelly, he's also from here. He's always I'm, around. He, he came to Hatch once. Well, um, oh, nice. Yeah, back in the day. I mean, the thing that uh, that I just can't get past, uh, and Travis, when you said it, it's I 100% agree with you that uh, you have to build that level of trust so that people feel comfortable. But at the same time, I'm like, man, we've been trying to build a level of trust for like 400 years. And it's mm. just like, at what point do we, something's got to happen, especially when that inner circle, this kind of seems like it's just a round robin thing. Everybody just rotates to the next position. Um, And then, well, when we rotate, we need to make sure that we hire someone else who thinks the same way, acts the same way, looks the same way. Uh, Boy, you've got a really, really tough job. And and, uh, I I wish you all the the success uh possible as you continue to trudge through all of that and certainly if there's any way that i can help out in any way I, i'm happy to do that i as a resident of this area for 20 years kids pro, uh, product of the schools here um I, mean, I i care a lot about this area and i and the thing that frustrates me so much is just the fact that there's so we have so much potential and we've been mm-hmm. working with so much potential for so long. And, and it's just like a startup, right? It's like, it's all about the execution. It's time to execute. And uh, yes. if I can help with that execution, you know, please count me in. Can I, I just, I, so I'm, I'm while we're talking, I'm looking at the list that I told you guys to look at. I just like a Wikipedia from Hampton Roads. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. We got all the heavy hitters, honestly. Yeah, there's a your couple favorite, people I didn't favorite even know. is probably from Virginia. Honestly, if you think about your favorite somebody, they're likely from Virginia. Did you know Mark Ruffalo Ruffalo was from Virginia Beach? 
I didn't know that. Yeah, I was shocked at that. I mean, there's a this is wild. Like, even I'm impressed by this. Uh, Evan Marriott, the actor in Joe Millionaire. I mean, who, I don't know who that is, but apparently he's famous enough to have a Wikipedia. <laughs> like, this is just, I, there's plenty of people. Like, yeah. Travis, this is great. What's something we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Um, I don't know. I mean, we talked a little bit about food. I'm a foodie. I grew up actually as a short line cook on Eastern Shore. So I was. Yeah, like, well, I, I, that was one of my questions I wanted to uh, ask you. What was your favorite thing to uh, prepare? You know, it's funny. So uh, shout out to Julie McNeil. I don't know if she sees this. I haven't actually been in touch with her, but we used to have, she used to have a place in Cape Charles called Harbor Grill. And I was like working there at 16. Let's put and her then on she the started, I know. I mean, then she started making, uh, I was dishwashing. And then like one day the sous chef quit and she's like yelling because we had service. She's like, I need you on the front line. I'm like, okay. And so I did. And then like, I think, you know, it was funny because then from there I was like, I'm never washing dishes again. And so mm. I ended up actually being, a short line cook, but every uh, Thursday through Saturday, the dinner, dinner menu changed. So she did like an eight course oh, cool. dinner menu. And so I think one of the dishes that I actually had a chance to like curate the menu once I got like my footing was we did this tuna, like rare tuna tiki, which is like this uh, seared tuna steak with like, I think we had like shrimp in it with like this glazed balsamic vinegar and like something else. But like I was making that at 16, but you know, wow. not to harp one, like to your point, Zach, about like, you go to school, you get a job, you work for the man. But like, had I actually like thought about owning a restaurant, it wasn't even a thing that I can actually be a chef, right? Right. Become classically trained as a chef or whatever, and then like open up a restaurant and like have my own thing. That wasn't even an option. It was just like, you're working here to kind of like save money and like go to school and then go to school, get a job and like, you know, get a career that you can like work for 30 years and then retire. And we still push that, I'm sure. You know, I'm, yes. I'm not in school, but I'm sure that's what they push. They do. Uh, there. I mean, it's, I mean, I feel like some school systems have been kind of making a transition from just not to be college ready, but college and career ready. So like you may not necessarily want to go to college right after that. And honestly, I don't know what the data is, but I feel like this is a trend. But like kids usually or nowadays are not going directly from high school to college anymore. Right. They're taking a gap year. They're doing some other like skill building thing that they're doing. Right. Or, you know, and a lot of it is like trying to figure out how to become TikTok famous, which, you know, there are a lot of folks who can actually get success in doing that and becoming marketing gurus and viral folks, right? But that's also not for everyone. But like, there's also like careers in like video editing and being a creator and like all the other things that people can do. So like, how are we, you know, ensuring that folks can have a, a diversity of like job opportunities, right? That they can do outside of just, you know, being TikTok famous. So Travis Young, are you trying to be TikTok famous? No, I'm too old to be influenced these days. Uh, I got freaked out actually in, in college with Facebook, right? Because I changed my name and then I was just being goofy and like wanted to change my name. And I think I changed it to Tai Chi or something stupid, super ridiculous. People were referring to me on campus as Tai Chi. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> like, I like they changed my name. Your handle. Yeah, your handle. You know, is and I was like, what? and it was like, what's up, Tai Chi? I'm like, who? Like, and I honestly didn't know they were referring to me because I'm just like, you know. This you walked past thing. so many people that were trying to talk to you and you just ignored them. You, Oh, my. Yeah. Ghosting wow. them out left and right. But, yeah, so. Well, this, is, this has been great. Learned a yeah. lot. I have a list of people now that I want to, like, become friends with as well. All the famous people in Hampton Roads are from here. That's great. Any parting words, Tim? No, I appreciate all that you're doing. Uh, on behalf of the region, on behalf of the founders uh, and the entrepreneurial community. And again, I, I get, if there's anything I can do to help 
with your efforts, uh, you know, please feel free to reach out. I wish you continued success and I look to keep the conversation moving forward with you. Awesome. Appreciate that. And thank you both for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you guys. See you soon. Cheers. So long. Cheers.